Well, good morning, River Glen Church. It is so good to be with you guys this morning. As Pastor Ben said, we've been trying to get this together for a while, and the pandemic has pushed that off, but it is an honor to be up here with you guys. And really, a big part of this is just having the opportunity to say thank you in person for your generosity to us. As Pastor Ben said, uh, Bright City Church launched in 2018. Some of your team actually came to the launch, which was incredibly encouraging and just a vote of confidence. And so <clears throat> just grateful to have the opportunity to say thank you in person for your generosity to Bright City. One of the things that has stuck out to me about you guys and about River Glen Church is how over the last two to three years, it is no surprise that it has been a challenge for churches, regardless of size, regardless of financial well-being. And in the midst of all of that, you guys remained faithful to the commitment that you had made financially. And uh, when it was hard, finding ways to be creative to continue to support us. And so I say that to say that is such a testament to your character and your integrity as a church to be the kind of people who do what they say they're going to do. So thank you so much for your generosity. One of the things that your generosity enabled us to do early on that I think is somewhat rare for churches but was huge for us in our survival is being able to hire a children's director very early on. And if you've been a part of church planting or know much about it, having a strong children's ministry is crucial. And so you guys made that possible for us, and I want to say thank you for that. And then just your ongoing encouragement. Pastor Ben reached out on a number of occasions just to say, hey, we're praying for you. Is there anything you need, anything we can do for you? And sometimes when you're planning a church, you just kind of can feel like you're out there all by yourself, all alone. And so having somebody that I knew was thinking about us and praying for us was huge. And so thank you guys for being that. I want to share a little bit about Bright City. We, uh, during the pandemic, we sort of pivoted to once a month outdoor gatherings. And so I've got some pictures for you guys of some of our gatherings as a church and what we look like. Uh, but the pandemic, you know, uh, for all churches, but especially for a young church plant, you're like, okay, are we going to survive this? Are we going to make it through this? And uh, the good news is we have come through that. And in many ways, I think we are stronger as a church. We saw our life groups explode because we had to go to gathering and smaller gatherings. And we have begun to see 20 to 30 people a month at our monthly uh, new attendee gathering. And so as a result of that, we are outgrowing our theater space and looking for a permanent spot. And so I say all that to say, I'm not, that's not to brag or to say that we're doing anything especially awesome, but to say that the investment that you guys are making in church plants like Bright City and City of Light Church uh, it is having an immense impact on the kingdom of God across our country. You guys are investing, and it's making a difference and changing lives. And so I just want you guys to know that when you do things like the big offering giveaway, uh, it, is changing. it is changing the kingdom and advancing the kingdom. And so thank you for your generosity. Share a little bit about myself. I've got a picture of my family. Uh, this is me and Sharon, my wife, and then our three kids. Isaac is 10 Cohen is seven and Sadie is four. And yes, I will do whatever Sadie asks whenever she asks, no question asked. Uh, I mean, look at that face. How can you not? Uh, but yeah, Sadie, uh, Sharon and I lead Bright City together, but Sharon is also an author and a speaker. And she just released her third book, The Cost of Control, and super 
proud of her and the impact that she's having through her ministry. Uh, but yeah, we lead Bright City together. And uh, a funny story, a funny thing about Sharon and I is that Sharon and I met at a date auction. And now you're thinking, Yes, you heard that right, a date auction. Uh, I was in seminary at the time, and uh, the Student Government Association was doing a fundraiser for a local nonprofit, and so they asked if I would be willing to be auctioned off, which you're kind of like, okay, is this ethically okay? Is this morally acceptable to do? And uh, so I figured, you know what? It's for a good cause. They'll say the ends justify the means here. And so... I uh, showed up on the night of this date auction. I sat down with some friends in a booth, and Sharon happened to be there, so they introduced us to one another. And I wish I could say that Sharon uh, fell in love immediately, but in fact, she was quite skeptical of me. Uh, as my kids would say, I was kind of sus. And uh, so I tried to allay her fears, but her exact words were, so what are you doing in seminary? Kind of like, I guess there's something about me that said, this guy is not serious. Uh, so went on with the date auction, uh, went up on stage to be auctioned off. And I don't know if it was just blind arrogance or extreme confidence, but I was convinced that Sharon was going to bid on me. And not only that she was going to bid on me, but that she was going to pay whatever it took to go on a date with me. And so the auction is over, I go down off the stage, and I go directly to Sharon to thank her for bidding on me. And she looks at me and says, I did not bid on you. I have never felt so alone in my life. Have you ever had one of those moments where you're like painfully aware that you are alone? Like people, people are around you, but mentally and emotionally, it's like I'm an island, I'm all by myself. That was that moment for me. And, and the reason I tell you that story is this morning we are continuing the series that you guys have been in called Made for More. And you've talked about uh, being made for a purpose and being made for serving. And this morning we're talking about being made for community, how we were made to be in meaningful com uh, connection and meaningful relationships with others and how we weren't made to do life alone. And one of the things that makes this conversation a challenge is if I am really honest with you, just on a personal level, most days I do not believe that I need community. I don't feel this deep need to have meaningful connection with others. And so I enter community thinking like, okay, I know the Bible says that I should have this, I should do this because of the Bible, but really I ultimately just feel like it's another thing to fit into my busy schedule. Others of us may feel this need for community because we feel like if I just had more people around me, then all the problems in my life would be solved. That the solution is I just don't have enough people around me. And so that would solve all of my problems. One of the things that I give a lot of thought to is the impact of our childhoods on our relationships as adults. And I personally grew up in an environment where one of my parents struggled with alcoholism. And in studying these family dynamics, uh, whether it's alcoholism or some other type of dysfunction, we tend to respond in one of two ways. And I'll tell you why I'm getting all of this in a moment. But 
For myself personally, I tend to do what's called internalizing, meaning when I look at the problems in my life, when I looked at the relationships of my childhood, my instinct was to say, the reason this is happening is because there's something wrong with me, and so if I can fix what's wrong with me, then that will solve this problem. And so I internalize. Others of us do what's called externalizing. And so we look at the pain in a situation that we're in. We, we look at the pain or dysfunction in our family of origin. And our response was to say, the problem is everyone around us. If they would get their junk together, then my life would be okay. And whether we grew up in a dysfunctional context or not, the reason I'm telling you this is because I think all of us lean in one direction or the other when we approach painful things in our life. We either internalize and say, I'm the problem, or we externalize and say, it's everyone else that is the problem. And so when it comes to being connected in meaningful relationship, as an internalizer, I don't really believe that I need community to deal with the challenges in my life. I just need to figure out what I need to do differently and do it. And so my whole motivation for community oftentimes is more, well, I guess I need to do this because others need me. Others need me to be in relationship with them, and so that's why I'll do community. For those of us who externalize and feel this need to have more people around us to answer the challenges of our lives, then our need or our responses, our motivation for community is I need other people. I need other people. And so in both of these, the bad news is neither of these are healthy approaches to community. One says, I'm here to contribute, but I don't need anything. The other says, I'm just here to receive. I just need you to give to me. I'm not here to contribute. And so we feel these different approaches to community. But what I want to talk about this morning, what I want to get into is what is actually healthy community? What are the healthy drivers for community? And why is it that we were all on a very literal level, made for community. One of the things that the COVID pandemic has exposed, it's exposed problems and challenges with a lot of things, but one of the things that I think it's exposed for many of us is the lack of meaningful connection in our lives. Mark Sayers, uh, he is kind of a cultural analyst and a pastor, says this, there's three things that we all need for human flourishing. Their freedom, a sense of meaning, and a sense of community. And so if you think of these things as three tanks in our lives that need to be filled, and we think about our society as a whole, generally we experience a lot of freedom. But I think when we look at our society, we experience a lack of meaning. In general, I think we feel a lack of meaning, and we are very disconnected from those around us. A lack of meaningful connection, a lack of community. And the abundance of freedom that we experience can make up for the lack of the other two for a little while. But what happened with the pandemic is now, all of a sudden, our ability to go wherever we wanted, whenever we wanted, to do whatever we wanted, was gone, and we found all three of our tanks empty. And as a result, our mental, emotional, and spiritual health tanked. We did not have the kind of relationships with God and others to sustain us through this kind of upheaval. And I wish I could say that as a pastor, I was exempt from this, that I just had this all figured out. 
But the fact of the matter is, we were a church plant that was a year and a half old at the time. We had never done online church of any sort. And so I started to feel this panic of, are we going to survive this? Are we going to survive this financially? Uh, Are all of our people just going to go to some church that already has this nice, polished, produced online service while we're over here doing Facebook Live in my living room with lyrics on a TV that you can't even read? I mean, it was embarrassing. When I look back, I'm like, I don't know how we survived this, right? But then on top of that, you know, we had three young kids who now we were homeschooling. Uh, They were home 24-7. Some of you are having flashbacks. You're like, stop talking about it. I don't want to go back there. Um, Sharon and I were, you know, splitting the days, working and taking care of the kids and essentially replanting our church online, And so in the midst of all of this, I began to feel a resurgence of depression. I had dealt with that before and began to feel that rising up. And a part of that, not entirely, it's much more complicated than this, but a part of that was I lacked meaningful relationships in my life, meaningful connection, people that I could depend on and go to. And so what we were brought back to in these moments was a truth that goes back to the very beginning, back to our creation. I want to take a moment and look at Genesis chapter 2 where God had created Adam and he had placed him in the garden and given him, you know, the instructions about you can eat from any tree except for the the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And then he says this in verse 18. It says, then the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper corresponding to him. The Lord God formed out of the ground every wild animal and every bird of the sky and brought each to the man to see what he would call it. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the livestock, to the birds of the sky, and to every wild animal. But for the man, no helper was found corresponding to him. The Lord God caused a deep sleep to come over the man, and he slept. God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh at that place. Then the Lord God made the rib he had taken from the man into a woman and brought her to the man. And the man said, this one at last is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. This one will be called woman, for she was taken from man." This obviously is a passage that oftentimes we think about in the context of marriage, but I think it has general implications for relationships and community as well. And there's a couple things that I want you to observe when we talk about being made for a community. First one is it says that God created Adam with the need for another human being. God created Adam and essentially gave some operating instructions. This thing will not work properly unless it has other people in its life. It is not good for him to be alone. But the second thing I want you to see, and this is crucial, is understanding that this was prior to sin entering the world. This is prior to the the fall, which means this need for other people was not a flaw in the system. It wasn't like sin entered the world and all of a sudden he had this need that had to be filled by others. No, this was a part of the intentional design of humanity. And then the third thing that kind of came to me yesterday as I was preaching this, but I want to share here too, is it says that God 
paraded all of these living creatures before him, but none were found to be a companion, a corresponding you know, human being to him, essentially. And what that brought to mind for me is that I think many of us in our lives have settled for an insufficient companion. I don't mean, you know, an animal, but I'm talking about something we've pursued with our life, believing that it is going to meet the need that only another human being, being in meaningful relationship to another, can provide us. So we've chased after a career or achievement or financial security or whatever it may be. We've filled it with an insufficient companion, and we find ourselves, again, it not living up to what we thought it would. And so when we talk about being made for community, we mean it in a quite literal way. And what the pandemic exposed was what the Bible had already told us was true, what it already told me was true, which is it's not just that others need me, but I need others too. I need to be connected in meaningful relationships that can sustain the disruption of our schedules. So what do we do? What does this look like? How do we do this in a healthy way, unlike the health, unhealthy ways that we have talked about? In Acts chapter 2, uh, we get this vision of the new, uh, the, the, the early church. Uh, Christ had resurrected, been ascended, and these early disciples were figuring out what does it look like for the people of God to gather, to be in relationship. And so Acts chapter 2, 42, this is what we hear it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. We get this picture of what community looked like for them, of their devotion to one another, of their gathering. But there's one phrase that I want to zero in on this morning, which is in verse 46, it says, They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts. Glad and sincere hearts. What we have here is a picture of people gathering in a way that brought a sense of fullness and satisfaction to life. The words sincere heart here could also be translated simple hearts, which suggests that they found this gathering fulfilling. They didn't need a whole lot more to be satisfied with life. And sometimes I wonder if my own need to accumulate more things or achieve more is really just compensating for a void of meaningful relationships. Would we be so desperate for satisfaction from those things in life that we are giving our lives to pursuing but never actually pay out what we think it will if the simplicity of meaningful relationships was present in our lives. I don't know about you, but I would love to say that I lived with a glad and sincere heart. 
going along with this then, talking about being made for community, there's one thing that I want to share, one last thing that really drives this home. And uh, so I want to ask if for a second we can nerd out on some brain science. Can we do that? And some of you are like, oh no. A part of the reason I want to do this is because I love when the spiritual truths of the Bible are verified by our own human means of investigation. The things that in Scripture are, are, are proven true. And there's two concepts that demonstrate how we were quite literally, even in the makeup of our brains, made for community. Uh, these words, or these terms are limbic resonance and limbic regulation. If you're already overwhelmed, it will be okay. We will get through this. There's a part of your brain that manages emotions, especially emotions in relationships, and it's called the limbic brain. And this first term, limbic resonance, is a term that describes the human experience of connecting on a deeply emotional level with another human being. We say things like, that resonates with me, right? When that, what we're saying there is, I connect with that. That connects with me. And so when we have limbic resonation, we are actually connecting emotionally with someone else around us. And this connection is not just emotional. It's not just this invisible connection, but it has deeply physical aspects to it as well. It actually has physical effects on our brains. The way that this happens is, in every environment that we are in, we are broadcasting information to others about how we are doing and about our inner world, about whether we're anxious or whether we're calm, whether we're scared or whether we're okay. We, we are broadcasting this information, and it affects the aspects of our brains. This information can alter hormone levels in the people around us. It can alter cardiovascular function, alter sleep rhythms and immune function. And what we have learned through research is that how our body and mind operate is on what's called an open loop. An open loop means that our body and mind are open to being impacted by those in close proximity to us. So to give you a very easy example of this, uh, if you have a toddler or uh, have ever seen a toddler or know what a toddler is, you have seen them at some point fall down. And when they fall down, their response is often connected to the adult with them and how they respond. And so if a child falls down and the parent or adult begins to panic and think, are you okay, okay, and kind of getting around you, the child also begins to panic and they begin to cry and are afraid. And so it's why we say things like when a toddler falls, it's like good fall or like you're okay because they are maximally open-looped. They depend on our emotional world to inform their emotional world. And so we are connected on this deep emotional level. But as we mature, we develop more of an ability to operate and regulate our emotions on a less open loop. We develop the ability to differentiate our emotions from others. But we never operate on a fully closed loop. We are always transmitting this information to and from those around us. And that leads to the next term, which is limbic reg regulation. Uh, this thing happens when we come together with others, where this information that we transmit back and forth actually works to help us regulate one another on a physical and emotional level. Let me bring this down to the ground on a way that we can all connect with. Uh, imagine all of us at some point have had one of those weeks where we were just in a funk, 
things were rough, there was some situation in our life that was not going well, maybe it was at work or at home, and we can only imagine this is going to end badly. Every possible outcome of this is going to be bad, and most likely it's going to be the worst of all of them. And you cannot think your way out of this, and then you go and have coffee with a friend. And maybe we have some brilliant friends, but in, in all honesty, maybe they don't even say anything all that profound, but you leave that conversation feeling a little lighter about things, a little more optimistic. Maybe things aren't going to go the worst possible way. Maybe there is a positive way out of this. That is the experience of limbic regulation. Their emotional distance from that situation has allowed their calm about it to actually regulate your emotions as well. And so the reason I tell you all of this is because no matter how independent I think I am or how independent we think we are, we all need others in our lives to help regulate us. And no matter how much you think you need community for your own sake, there are those who need you as well. And so healthy community happens when internalizers accept that we need others and externalizers accept that others need us. What I want you to know is that we will not find these glad and simple hearts at the end of self-reliant pursuits of success or in the attention of unknown followers or even in the security of our financial well-being. And the reason we won't find it there is because none of that works to regulate our emotional world in only the way that meaningful connection with others can. And so our invitation to you today here, Groups Weekend, is to go and find a life group where you can enter into these kinds of life-giving, meaningful relationships. Relationships where you need others and others need you. These groups are gatherings, small gatherings of people that meet regularly to connect with God and to connect with others. And one of the things that we often say at Bright City is that we believe that we experience life more fully when we experience God together. That there's something that happens that makes life more full when we experience God with one another. And my own experience of this, just to share as we close out this morning, is uh, Sharon and I lived in Chicago uh, from 2010 to 2014. And during that time, we experienced some of the most life-giving community we have ever experienced in our lives. We had gathered with six or seven other young couples and uh, we were walking through the Gospel of John together. And yes, we were hungry to learn, but more than anything else, we were committed to each other. How many of us here this morning could say, I know I can name three people, four people who are committed to me, devoted to my life. We were committed to one another. And so we gathered regularly for cookouts and Friday night fire pits and Christmas parties and gatherings and just did all kinds of life together. But we also walked through some really hard things together a couple that was recovering from an affair. Another couple was grieving a miscarriage and the struggles to have children. People lost jobs. People 
were searching for jobs. People found jobs. We had people that lost loved ones and others who had babies. And we did all of that together. We grieved and cried together, but we also laughed and celebrated together. And, and in all of that, I think we experienced the, the satisfaction of glad and simple hearts. A satisfaction that only comes from meaningful relationships with others. And so today, River Glen has given you the opportunity to find that kind of meaningful connection in your own lives and in your own relationships. And so there'll be people out at the tables in the lobby after this. I want to encourage you to go out there and to, to talk to someone. You can go online to River Glen's website and join a group online and uh, I've done Rooted. We do Rooted at Bright City. If you guys haven't done that, I encourage you to do that, to take that step. Um, but I want to challenge you. Don't leave here and say, I'm just going to think about it this week. Do it today. Today is the day. Do it today. Join a group today and begin to experience these kinds of meaningful relationships. Let me pray for us as we close. God, I know in a room of this size, there's so many things that we're bringing in here with us this morning. Pain, hurt, loneliness. God, we deal with it in all kinds of different ways, but God, you made us for community. You made us for relationships. God, you said we operate best when we are in relationship to others. So God, my prayer for these folks this morning is that they would have the courage to take that step, to join a group. Maybe there's some folks here this morning that have been hurt by relationships and are afraid to step into relationships, afraid to be known by others. And God, I pray that this morning you would set them free from that, that your Holy Spirit would come into their lives and say, you can't let this hold you back any longer. Trust me. Trust me. Maybe there's someone here this morning that God has been tugging on your heart to start a group. You've been resistant or unsure and Holy Spirit just won't let it go God's Spirit keeps tugging on you and maybe this morning is the morning where you say okay God I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step out into the unknown I'm going to trust God that you're going to carry me as I step into leading this group God would you meet us all where we are could step into meaningful relationship with others and experience life more fully because we are experiencing you together. Pray this in Jesus' name.